Would you pray with me? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. One of those who had been following Jesus stands up and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's where this passage starts. The ultimate fate of the human spirit, how to navigate God's good graces and enter into life eternal. What do I need to do? What do I need to have down in St. Peter's book? I stand at the pearly gates in order to get waved on through. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's where the passage starts. It's coming in hot. <laughs> we are going to establish it. We're going to answer it. We're going to get down to it. Or at least we're going to point in the right direction. This passage, it is a bit of a wild ride. There are three distinct twists along the way. Three surprise sharp turns where it seems as if we're heading in one direction and then whoop, new direction. Three times. The first twist, it comes right away because this person who stands up, this person who had been following after Jesus, perhaps a disciple, perhaps someone who simply found him along the way that day. But this one happens to be an expert in religious law. And the first twist comes because the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus puts it back to him and he gets the answer right. Immediately, off the bat, that is not normally how these things go. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replies, well, what does it say in the law? And this expert says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replies, yep, you got it. Go ahead with that and you'll be all set. Twist number one of this story is that this guy gets it right straight off the bat. Now, if this were me and Jesus had said that I had eternal life all figured out, I'd probably take that as a win and sit down. <laughs> but this particular disciple has a follow-up question. I am to love God and love my neighbor, but who is my neighbor? If inheriting eternal life means I must love my neighbor, then who that neighbor is matters kind of a lot. Who must I love? Who must I love in order to inherit eternal life? And having failed to take the win when he had the chance, this man gets a bit of a rebuke in the form of a parable. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Before we jump into that parable, though, a bit of background. The whole of Israelite society at that time was broken up into three basic categories of people. There were the priests who led the religious worship of God. There were the Levites who were the temple officials. And there were the people who were everybody else. It formed this triad, the priests, the Levites, and the people. And that phrase, it was a, a well-known grouping of 
three things. We have these two in, in English, morning, noon, and night, or sun, moon, and stars. Once you've said the first two of this triad, you know what the third one is going to be. You, I'll give you this next one, see if you can get it. Breakfast, lunch, and? Dinner. Once you've said the first two, you know what the third is going to be. This is one of those, a triad. The priests, the Levites, and the people. Once you say the priests and the Levites, everybody knows that what comes next is the people. Back to the passage. I must love my neighbor to inherit eternal life, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a parable. A man was beset by robbers, left on the side of the road, badly injured, and the first person who came by was a priest who did nothing. And the second person who came by was a Levite who did nothing. And the third person who came by was, and the listeners think they know where this is going. The priests, the Levites, and the people, and this is shaping up to be a good parable. The third person who's being set up to be the hero, the ones that's going to do something, it's not going to be a priest, it's not going to be a Levite, but just one of the good old people of God who's going to be the one to swoop in and save the day. This is looking like good stuff. The hero of the story isn't a religious leader or a person of high social standing, just an ordinary Joe who's doing what they can and who inherits eternal life. Talk about a crowd pleaser of a parable. A man was wounded on the road, a priest walks past, and then a Levite walks past, and the third person who came was a Samaritan. This is the second twist in the passage about what it takes to inherit eternal life. The Samaritan being the hero is a twist because Jesus had been setting the people up to believe that with a priest and a Levite, the third would be the people. Jesus set them up. And this second twist of a Samaritan, this is the opposite of a crowd pleaser. Because the people listening to this parable, they did not like Samaritans. And for good reason. The Samaritans weren't strangers. It's worse than that. The Samaritans weren't enemies. It's worse than that. The Samaritans were traitors traitors. Centuries before, the Samaritans had split the country into two by rebelling, by rebelling against the legitimate government, declaring their own king. And then with the country weakened, split in two, the land was conquered by foreign armies, bit by bit, by enemies, happy to take advantage. Piece by piece, they were conquered until eventually there was nothing left. They had lost their homeland, and it was the Samaritans' fault. Innocent people had suffered because of the Samaritans. The temple was destroyed because of the Samaritans. The people had to go into exile for generations because the Samaritans had cared more about having their own part of society be the ones on the top of the heap. They cared more about their own interests than the interests of the people of God. The Samaritans weren't strangers or enemies. It's worse than that. They were traitors. And this guy, the Samaritan, this guy is the hero of the parable. It was set up to be the priest, the Levite, and the people being the hero. Instead, it's the priest, the Levite, and the traitor. The traitor is the hero. Not a crowd pleaser. 
Jesus finally turns the question back to the disciple asking it. Which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which was a neighbor to the man who was robbed? And this is the third twist. The one that spins the parable back on itself, reaches the end, collapses it to the beginning, casts it all in a different light. Jesus didn't ask which of these was righteous. Jesus didn't ask which of these was good. Jesus asks which of these was a neighbor. And who is my neighbor? That is the gate to eternal life and loving my neighbor is that which I need to do in order to walk through the gate to eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Love my neighbor. And who is my neighbor? The Samaritan. The one who I honestly believe represents values I don't agree with, that I find abhorrent. The one who I honestly think that I am better than because of what they've done that's the key? Loving that one? Loving the kind of person who does not deserve it? The one who deserves judgment instead? Loving that one? That's, that's, well, loving the one who does not deserve it, that is, that is grace. That is grace, to love the one who does not deserve it. A disciple asks Jesus, what must I do to be the hero of my own eternal fate? Tell me how to back God into a corner with my own good deeds and make God give me what I deserve, a place at God's own right hand. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus takes us down the twisty road of a parable to show us at the end stands grace. To love the one who is not easy to love. The one who there is good reason not to love. The one who I honestly think that I am better than. Not a pretty part of what it means to be a person, but there it is. To love the one there is good reason not to love, to love one such as that, without reserve, without pride, then perhaps, perhaps, I've begun to see grace. Perhaps I've begun to see that grace is the gate to eternal life and it is wide open and it is the only way, a wide way that any could walk through the only way, and it is wide enough, so wide that I cannot have it all to myself. Walking into eternal life, I must share that way with those I think do not deserve it, because deserving it is not what it means to inherit eternal life. Grace. Grace stands at the end. One of Jesus' followers stands up and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
That's where the passage starts. It comes in hot. What must I do to inherit eternal life? We're going to answer it, establish it, get down to the bottom of it. Or at least point. Point in the right direction.